Material for the brain. Conversations for thinking bodies. Hello and welcome to Material for the Brain podcast. Today is our 10th episode and together with me is Mano Siv Dukasnei. Mano is a French-Danish dancer, choreographer and a teacher based in Spain. She has studied a BA in dance between Uni Arts in Sweden and Institut del Teatre in Spain and is currently completing her master at the Danish National School of Performing Arts. I met Mano first time in 2012 and during the last nine years we have played different roles in each other's lives. She was my first long-term student who became my teaching assistant and later on grew into her own practice and now we consider each other's as colleagues. Mano has always been a big inspiration for me as she has an amazing talent in understanding people and forming relationships. She speaks seven different languages and as far as I'm concerned is an embodied example of multiculturalism. I was super excited to reconnect to Mano and to hear about her new adventures settling down in Spain and building a cultural center in the mountains of Asturias. Hello, Mano, how are you? Hey, Matan, I'm good. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) Yeah, I'm super excited to have you here, old friend. It's been really quite some time since we had the space to exchange. Definitely, quite some time, yeah. Yeah, how are you? Where are you? What is up with you? Um, I'm good. I'm in Spain, in Asturias, uh, which is uh, in the north of Spain. Mountains and not as sunny as most people think <laughs> when they think about Spain. But it's a very green and beautiful area that I moved to um, in summer. A bit because of everything that is happening. Um and then besides that, I'm also doing a master's in choreography in Copenhagen. Oh, wow. Um, like an online program. It's uh, presential, but since before Christmas, all the uh, institutions closed down in Denmark. So I've been here and have had most like more individual tasks. And now hopefully I can go there in March. But yeah, the traveling is a bit uh, more complicated than I expected when, when starting it. Yeah, sure. And... Uh... And how is this, uh, what is the name of the village that you, or, or town that you the said? The village yeah. is called Villanueva de Santo Adriano. <laughs> no, chan- <laughs> no chance I will be able to repeat that. <laughs> it's like uh, um, Santo Adriano is the council and Villanueva is the main village where there's 50 inhabitants and the whole council is 288 people living in like nine different villages so we really wow it's really intimate yeah i know all neighbors already and like how what is the altitude is it like you said it's mountains but it's very high or like is it we're in in a valley so we are actually just i think 300 meters above um, the ocean but just like then the village just on top of us is like 800 and thousand and you can see mountains going quite further up but we are more in like a a valley where we have a quite nice climate 
Mm. I must say, this is something I really miss in my life to be, to be more outside and to, yeah, not to be like, I love the, the offer of Vienna and like living in the city. But every time I speak to somebody who, especially from our, you know, uh, professional feel every time I meet a dancer or a, or a movement practitioner who moves to the countryside, I, I must admit, I have some enviness of the courage to disconnect from the big cultural centers. How does it feel yeah. for you? I mean, I was just thinking this morning because we have uh, chicken and sheep. And this morning I went to open and to give them food. And our sheep live like there's a villa, uh, river that goes through the village. And to go to the sheep, I go along this river. And right now it's like really full on with water. And I was just thinking like, wow, it's so crazy that like this impact that nature has on my body in the morning when I wake up in comparison to if I would go out on a city street and all the cars and the bikes and, and noise that it's really it's just like breathing the fresh air and listening to the sound of the river. I think it, it really does something special to the body. And I, I feel, I feel much more calm here, even though I'm doing a lot of things. It's just something else to also see, see horizons like far away and, and follow the cycle of, of nature somehow much more intensely and closely. Hmm. Wow. That sounds. Yeah, it, it brings up a lot of memories because when I was younger, I used to live, uh, when I was still living in Israel, I lived in a very small village also with like kind of 60 families and I had a little cabin in the hills. And yeah, part of my routine was to wake up and make like make tea and I would sit outside and just breathe and watch the like uh, how the calm rhythm of everything. Although, you know, like sometimes, of course, nature is not always calm. And I, and I guess one of the reasons that we live in, in cities and with all this like technological infrastructure is, is due to the fact we want to avoid the catastrophes of nature, but like in the right balance. Yeah. It's something that I feel for me too. It really gives a lot to the body. So do you spend a lot of time outdoor? You're also moving outdoor. Like what, what is your routine there? Like what are you actually doing nowadays? Yeah. Um, I, I do spend a lot of time outdoor. Um, one of my routine is getting water from the, um, what, how do you call that in English? Like a fountain? Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So during the day, I always, we live like up here and then I go down to get the water from the fountain and go up. And that feels like a <laughs> very short, but quite intense body practice. <laughs> I really feel when I have been in Copenhagen for some time and everything is flat and I come here and the first days I get really sore in my legs <laughs> because everything is just immediately up and downhill. Um, and then, yeah, taking care of, of the animals is more my partner who's doing it, but I'm also helping my leg now because it's also the beginning of us getting moving here. We've been putting uh, fences which is like really physical work. We made a chicken house and, and then we have a piece of land that we're preparing to grow vegetables. So like that's part of my, my daily practices. And then we're opening this studio here. Um, so also every day I try to come here and, and spend some hours um, in the studio. 
And I haven't really been doing like more dance or movement practices outdoor because as I said, it's quite a small village and it feels a bit intimidating right now. Like it's like the kind of village where all the old people are in their houses and looking out the window the whole day and checking out people. Okay, so um, first you need to make a good social impression before you expose the weirdo inside of you. Huh? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> like little by little, I'm going to... gonna start doing some some movement practices I've been doing a bit sometimes in the when we're working the earth then I need a break then I start doing some Tai Chi uh, movements and stuff that probably mm. people have been seeing but I think it's okay cool and um, what what is the ma that you're doing like wh- are you already in like a, in which phase are you in the program is it how many years it's um, a new started MA in choreography International School of the Arts I think it's the English name in Denmark in Copenhagen um, and I started in August it's the first uh, year that they do it and it's uh, me and two other uh, peers so we're quite like a small and um, privileged group I would say mm. uh, we got yeah I did an audition just a year ago And got the news that I got in just before the pandemic started um, and then we started in August and had quite a normal school year until December and then things closed down but anyways this semester is focused more on individual work so I am so lucky that I have a studio here and I can work on my own and then we have more like feedback sessions and individual readings also looking at references and And sharings but it's in it's a master in choreography and it's focused on physical practice and choreographic production mm. and somehow considering researching trying out w- what does these two terms mean for us individually and and more generally for the dance field mm. sound interesting I'm looking forward to see what you're gonna come up with yeah project. I made a first production already in the autumn where I got so inspired by my new life here that I was uh, taking building with wood and sawing and hammering as a concept or like as a practice mm. and trying to stage it and see what does it mean in relation to the body and our knowledge as dancers and movers it was quite fun yeah it's actually it's interesting where uh, you know like my father is a farmer so I grew up um I didn't like when I when I when I when my parents met we we left qui- pretty quickly his farm his land but still I grew up next to a father who is very much into physical work and and there is a certain interesting thing that a lot of people who are working physically with tools they are quite disconnected from the body even though they are using it so much and and there is a certain and so when you bring body awareness into physical work it become something very interesting and and I find it extremely challenging like I, I would I was doing when we moved to our new flat I did a lot of carpentry work and I fucked up my spine completely it's so challenging to to work consciously you know? yeah I mean I think from the experience I did in the autumn and also just constantly being having it present when I'm working outside is that when we are building or working the earth there's something external to us that's The, the meta the the point of work somehow so you easily get 
focused outside your body, I think, in relation to, okay, I need to do this movement to the ground or I need to get this piece of wood into another one. So it's, it's, it feels like a, you really need to work a lot in your consciousness to be able simultaneously to be present and, and aware of how you're using your body. And yeah, and it's also, it's like a heart, like it's, it's intense work and it's very repetitive and, and you just need to do it. It's not like you can sometimes if you're in the middle of a flock of cows and you need to move them, it's not like you can just stop up and breathe and yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there is necessity, but it, it sounds as if you're, what you're suggesting, which is interesting because it reminds me of the conversation I had in the last episode, that like, instead of putting your attention on, on let's say, your task, you just put attention on the, on the body and you see how the task take care of itself, kind of, no? Mm, yeah, but I have, like, I have a lot of fun with it when we have been working the earth, of really being like, how can I do this movement so it becomes more fluent so i really use my entire body um and and it, it really works that little by little you get into a rhythm that feels more sustainable but then there's also a moment where you get more tired where i feel that the body maybe has more of a tendency to go into a bad pattern so then you need to like once again settle down and be like how how can i do this in a more healthy way. Yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe the only, like what it pulls my mind to think of is that like, yeah, in an, in an ideal environment, I have the time to, to do these adjustments. But I guess like one aspect of life is sometimes this kind of, um, you know, emergency, like, okay, as you say, like the cows are here, I have to do it. And then like, it's a, it's, I guess it's part of the thing to accept if you choose to work with the body that it's not going to be ideal all the time and, and that you will have to compromise certain things. And yeah. No, what do you think? I mean, definitely. I think I feel it both in my more, in my work as a dancer and as a choreographer, but also just here in the countryside that both ways of living are very ideal and idyllic. But when you get to the, to the real work, there's like so many things to it that, um, yeah, that makes things much more complex and many different details that maybe don't make you have so much time for just the practice itself. Um, yeah, that make you have to really improvise and be flexible and throw yourself into yeah. things and just <laughs> catch it in the moment and get the best of it and hopefully learning. And figuring out next way, next time to, to move the, the shape with a bit more elegance. <laughs> <laughs> as far as I remember our exchanges in the studio, you're pretty talented in throwing yourself into the unknown. So it's like, I, I trust that you are doing well. <laughs> Definitely. I think it's as much a life practice as a movement practice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mano, maybe you can take me and also our audience a little bit into the past and share a little bit like what, like, you know, like some key moments that brought you to the place that you're working as a dancer and a choreographer, because I know I, I remember a little bit your story, but I know that it, it's not something that you started. It's not something you grew up into. So, so how did you arrive to that point now? Yeah. 
I mean, I grew up in the countryside on a little island in Denmark. And there, like lately, I definitely realized that, that this has a lot to do with my love and passion for movement because I lived in a very open space and was playing a lot outdoors as a kid and climbing trees and just using my body physically. And then I think I had some years as a teenager that I was very disconnected from my body. Um, but then I started doing theater and was very lucky that there was a quite innovative drama school where on the island where I lived and we were doing theater. We were a group of kids from nine to 18 years old and doing quite some like experimental and device theater. Um, so when I finished high school and I moved to Copenhagen, I thought that I wanted to be an actress. But simultaneously, I started taking dance classes and realized that what I actually really had enjoyed um, and um, learned from in the theater was more like the being within a group, moving dynamics, um, group dynamics, being on stage also. And yeah getting to know each other and oneself through through that. So in Copenhagen, I started taking more dance classes and I did one year in a place called uh, the Academy of where I did more dance theater. And then from there, I went into like one year preparatory contemporary dance education, which was just like full on. I think I started when I was 21 and had my first ballet classes putting the wrong hand on the bar and yeah <laughs> that kind of things faking it till you make it um and then i did lots of auditions for different european dance schools and got into doc in stockholm um where i did a three-year education like a ba in dance performance and within those three years i went for a semester to barcelona which i think impacted me a lot um in relation to the people I met there that were really like living movement as a passion and as a need and as a desire to meet and share like we would go quite much to the streets and, and just train and and teach each other which has become very much part of, of how I've been moving around in the world and uh, yeah after graduating I worked a bit in Copenhagen for a choreographer there. And then I went to South America also, where I took part in different dance festivals, was dancing a lot of contact improvisation during my time there. And, and also did more like own works that I started collaborating with a friend that I met there. And we set up two performances and um, and organize also some events like organizing events has also always been part of of my practice um, of creating those spaces to share movement and, and more choreography and performance and then the last four years I've been more in Europe still sometimes to Latin America and uh, teaching assisting you I've been collaborating with Dasha Lavrenikov that we've both been like um, developing a teaching practice, but also bringing it into uh, choreographic uh, methods and, and performances. Then I've been doing more of my own work, 
um, and have some solos. And, and then also I started a platform in Copenhagen, which is more like we, for, um, uh, to do events, artistic events where we invite only female performers and artists. And, and where I have been producing also some, some performances and continuously just spending time in studio outdoors whenever I had time to just focus on, on the research and the movement practice and teaching also all the time alongside. I think that's <laughs> more or less a trajectory. Uh, yeah. yeah it's uh it's different i think to when i when because i know part of this story but it's always interesting to see you know how you perceive yourself and like how things came came to realization and yeah one thing that i i'm i was very attracted about hosting you is because you're you're the maybe the first person that i could that i that i maybe considered a little bit as my student because there was a, some period of time i mean i think we met while you were studying in doc no yeah just before you went to spain and i was slowly transitioning out of the universe like the dance education system and we kept in touch and then you studied with me for a little while and then with time your role grew and like you instead of studying with me you started assisting me and then i i we also talked a lot about teaching practice and then you just started to do your own things and so first I was very excited to to invite you just because I feel it, it's something very beautiful to see somebody that you accompany and, and, and now you see like, wow, they have their complete independent universe that I can now go and learn from you. And that's something that that I find is a is a very inspiring thing. So how was the how like what how did you what helped you to to grow inside and you know and come from a position of of just consuming and studying and into growing into becoming an independent teacher or creator and what helped you from in this internal process? Mm, that's a good question. Mm. <laughs> um, I mean, I think I realized like more when we, when we met, I was in this uh, school situation where it was just like that you had this buffet and, and you could just take from a bit from everything. Um, and when I finished, I realized, ah, now you need to go and <laughs> go to, to the restaurant. And before you can go to the restaurant, you need to have some money and <laughs> decide on what dish you want. Um, but then I realized, like, I've, I was presented with so many different teachers and ways of studying and, and what, what was important for me. Um, and there, I think that my meeting with you was one of the people that I, I really felt, um, a connection with and, and that I wanted to learn more from. So I think that's how I, I started studying more with you, like going and being like, I want to dig into this. I want to dig into that. Um, and then I also had a teacher once who said that you only master something when you start teaching yourself. And, and I think that that really got very, it stuck to me. And I was like, just by sometimes having possibilities of being invited to teach. Um, and through that, yeah, teaching, then realizing like, wow, it's really interesting when you've been learning something from someone 
and suddenly you need to put it into your own words or into your own body. Um, and in that process, um, yeah, I think that we were conversating about, uh, yeah, you were teaching me as a student and, and that I said at some point that I was interested in collaborating more and that you were open for that and invited me to assist you that I think that was also like a very um, generous um, doing of you to give me that possibility of somehow changing and then observing that um, that different role somehow and giving me the space also to more and more uh, come with my own understandings of your practice and experiences and and translating it also just that we're, I mean, we're a man and a woman, but also that you are much taller than I am. Like that we, obviously our bodies have different ways of understanding and functioning just because of our anatomical um, setup. And I think that that, that, yeah, you were very open to, to see that and, and to have my knowledge become part of, of your teaching and sharing with, with other uh, students. Mm. Yeah, did that answer more or less? Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's like, I think it's it's not a question that has an answer. So I was yeah. just curious to hear what you think. Because, you know, like one thing that I can see about this process is that, I, and I think that we've personally managed to do it very nicely and, and, and quite harmoniously, is to maintain the tension between asking for space and giving space. Oh, because, yeah, because you initiated something I, and, and may, maybe if you wouldn't, if you wouldn't have initiated it, maybe it would have never happened. Yeah. You know, like, or maybe I would have come to, uh, to the conclusion or to the idea that I want to invite to collaborate, but I think that there is something important in that. And then, of, and of course, then I, I, it, it was up to me to see, yeah, do, am I in a place that I'm willing to share? And I think that, I don't know, I'm, I'm always more attracted to the idea of, you know, like, okay, if you want something, take the courage to ask for it and then see what happens, then to wait for people to be considerable to accommodate my needs. But that's my, re that's my starting point. I don't know. How, how do you feel about that? I mean... I think there's definitely something about following your intuition. I think I really followed my intuition and yeah, just threw myself into be like, Hey, I, I want to collaborate with you. Do you want to? And it's definitely a risk taking, but the only risk you take is that there's a no in the end instead of a yes. Um, and I think for me, that has been all the time in my process, very important to to yeah be brave enough to to ask those questions that might be a yes or might be a no but if you don't ask them then you just stay in wherever you are or maybe yeah get more uh, driven around rather than driving where you want to go somehow um yeah yeah i guess uh, it's just like we are living in a in a period where there is so much abundance from everything that I think sometimes this abundance and I can see it a little bit with my kids creates this illusion like that we are entitled to have things 
and and what I really admired about how you handled our relationship is that it was like that you embodied the idea that if you want something you have to also work for it and invest and then you can get everything you want and and yeah and I and to be honest I'm also very grateful that you came all the time and be and, and was present first as a student then in the assisting role and then literally I remember that at the, maybe it was the last internship we did together you just you were just teaching your own stuff and I was like wow this is very cool I don't know how to do these things <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and yeah and then it's like yeah then the circle is kind of complete because then like you you are really ready to departure and mm. and then we can slowly transform our relationship to just being colleagues yeah I mean I think there has also been part of this in like that you have been sharing with me your practice but you also never were like I'm the master and I'm your only master so I think that there's also this thing of of being open to to share your practice with me and at the same time that I would um, get other knowledge from other people that is definitely also very important because I think in our field sometimes there's or in any kind of field sometimes there's also this um tendency to just follow one master and yeah that the master doesn't allow the student to find its own way eventually so i think yeah there's definitely a reciprocity in 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 what i was looking for and in your openness towards that an invitation and then i was also thinking ah i forgot i was mm. just thinking about something else um, yeah. Maybe it will come up. Yeah, maybe yeah. it will come. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I, I never understood, and yeah, I'm, I'm, is, is this kind of teachers who have this obsession to put borders around their students in the sense of, you know, of um, controlling what kind of information would come into their student minds. I just don't understand it. I don't know. Like, have you? Did, I mean, I'm sure you have encountered people like that around the dance and movement field, no? Definitely. Like that was what I was what I was saying before. That and yeah, that there's definitely some people that have this idea that I have the only right answer to to what what is important, being movement wise or life wise, and and I think that that's something that I really felt with you when we started i mean always both as a student and as a more assistant and colleague that we can talk about things and discuss things and understand that of course we have different ways of of understanding and doing and and there's no right or wrong it's just different and we can learn from those differences rather than being like no this is like that and not that i mean sometimes it's good to be <laughs> specific about things but yeah it depends and also yeah what i thought about before is that i also think something that i learned from you and 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 in this time that we were practicing more together is also how life is an important part of the practice and how how everything that is happening in your life like influences and and teaches you about the, the more specific movement practice um, that I felt 
like that has been accompanying me all the time and have made me grow also to to take my life and not only when I'm practicing to to like observe what is it that I'm doing what what do I want to do I want to open a new chapter or or like to take a conversation a little bit uh, to focus more on you because one thing that I always really admired about you which was also like really practical tool but also just the quality of being is the fact that you um, how would I phrase it I think you're a great embodiment of the idea of multiculturalism and and when I say great embodiment is because you speak so many languages and so on the practical level it was always great that if we are in a space and then you know like I remember we were co yeah we were um teaching together in Spain and then like if I couldn't articulate well enough in English for the people you could immediately jump and translate it into Danish Spanish Portuguese <laughs> how many which other languages do you speak um French German and Swedish so it's like wait, wait let's count so French English Danish Swedish Spanish, Spanish Portuguese Portuguese and German seven and Ge- wow oh my god it's like now I'm, I'm learning Asturian oh my god which is the local You're, language this is amazing I really <laughs> find it amazing I wonder if it's like is it is it is it because um, I heard this theory that after you master the third language the fourth fifth and it becomes easier is it true or is it just <laughs> um I I mean I definitely think so in a way I think that I was very lucky to be born with two different languages like my French is my mother tongue from my mother's side and then Danish from my father's side and, and growing up in Denmark. And at the same time, like Danish is a Germanic language, so it helped me learning English, German and Swedish. And with French, I could easily learn Spanish and Portuguese. But there's definitely something about, I think they say that children up till the age of five, if they have seven different people speaking seven different languages they can learn seven languages when until they're five and it's definitely like when learning languages when it's part of the way that you develop it's it's much easier because it's not only about the verbal language but also about how the verbal language reflects culture and different personalities i think ways of of being and understanding the world Yeah, exactly. And that's what that's what I find so inspiring about you, because I think that in many dance spaces, there is this, let's say, superficial idea of multiculturalism, just because there is people from different backgrounds, but the actual exchange that is happening. And and maybe I again, I don't want to be that judgmental. But I so I will speak on my behalf. So when I studied in in SEED in this academy in Salzburg, and we were people from all over the world, It took me years to understand what is my cultural filter, what is the cultural lens that through it I see the world. And like, and even now that like I'm il- almost 11 years in Austria, the, like still the majority of the time, this lens is almost like transparent and I cannot see it. And then there's moments of awareness. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's actually, I'm just behaving like this because I grew up in Israel. And, and then, the, you know, like, so there is on the surface, this feeling of, yeah, people from all over the world, but then the actual... exchange that is happening i feel like there's we meet a lot through these different filters that we are not even aware of and i think that the first step in understanding a culture is to start speaking the language because you learn so much about how people think 
so like how how do how do you relate relate to this because i i don't know also like if you speak to which level you speak every language i'm sure you have certain languages that are more dominate than others so there is probably some hierarchy there but like how how does it help you to understand people i mean it it definitely helped so much and i think also like um like i myself grew up with two cultures and a lot of children are growing up in those circumstances now and there's something complex about it because you feel like sometimes you feel you feel like you understand or you belong to both cultures and sometimes you feel like you're you aren't any of them um but but just the way of already growing up and understanding that there's two that there's different ways of doing things i think helps you in the meeting with other people that you can quicker connect to that ah maybe i'm saying something and they're not understanding it and it's not because i'm saying it wrong or because they don't want to do it like that but it's just because we have different ways of perceiving uh, the world and then we can try to formulate it better through words but we still might see it differently and and definitely like I, i've always been fascinated about languages just when i was living in sweden an example is like there's the exact same word which is green and in danish and it means laughing and in swedish it means crying <laughs> and i was like that's amazing the two neighbor countries have a very similar language but then somehow the same word has developed in opposite direction no like what what happened how and and i think it's just a good example of how easily we can <laughs> misunderstand each other through through language and and also what you said yeah about like dominating different languages uh i like spanish has been a language that has always i think different languages attract us in different levels um or like we connect to different languages in different ways french for me it's very much like family and love danish it's it's very much my childhood and friends english is very much like a, a working language for me but also philosophically and spanish for me it's like a very fun and passionate and and also like my contemporary or it's the language that i speak with my husband or that i i work a lot in um and still i'm in a moment now in spanish that i speak it so well but then still sometimes i meet with like wow this is not my culture and i really start understanding people but still sometimes i'm blown away about the yeah very basic different ways of me trying to formulating in spanish and it not being understood not because that i'm saying it wrong but because it's just like a very different idea culturally um yeah so so from all your traveling and you know and and meeting different people do you do you believe in the idea of universe universalism that there there are some universal things connecting humanity or, or are you more from your experience perceive the world as like no it's like different cultures will you know like they produce different type of people and like there are no basics that we can connect everyone together hmm. i know it's a big question you don't have to and you know if you want to answer it we have to talk for hours but i'm just curious about your i'm just curious about your position yeah uh, i know mine so i'm just curious yeah definitely i mean i think yes and no i think that there's some very basic human needs that we all connect to which is 
like love, which is closeness, which is family, which is water, which is food. Uh, but then it manifests itself very differently. And especially with Dasha Lavrenikov that I've been collaborating with a lot, it's also because we, we have, like, we met through this multiculturalism somehow. Like, she also has double nationalities and has been living in different ways. And we started making a whole network of people that we connect with each other, even though we come from different nationalities, but because we have, we have had different experiences that we have experienced um, si similarly. And, but I, so I think that there's definitely ways that, I mean, it's a big question for me because, for example, in Argentina, I felt so much at home, but I'm, I don't have any ancestors that are from Argentina or, but something there just intuitively makes me feel home the same in here. And then at the same time, there's also the more um, practical things that make you understand or, or feel. And I think, so I think there's both, like there's a way that we are connected maybe universally as, as humans. But then I also really, really appreciate the, the details of each different country or valley. Like here, it's amazing to really study and focus. And there's people here that have lived like generations and generations in the same house. And for me, it's fascinating to, to observe this kind of really belonging to one place and both the traditions, the words that, that, that comes with it. So I think I, for me, it has been a gift to travel around and meet so different people and, and cultures and interests, but but there's also a huge richness in staying in the same place and, and digging, digging into to the story of that place or, yeah, the traditions. I mean, this is another topic that I want to dive with you, but we'll, we'll give it a, a bit more time because I still have some. So like first, it's interesting because when I hear your answer, so I already could kind of connect it to your background of being able to say like, hey, I see this, but I also see that. So it's like, <laughs> you know, and I would be much like, no, no, I know like it's, there, there are universal uh, uh, principles that connect that and that's it, you know. And it's nice that you have this ability to to hold two opposing positions at the same time and argue for them. And I think that's, um, maybe it relates a little bit to your to what you've mentioned as a, as a kid, that, you know, like how we, we grow up. I also see it with my children, you know, because I, I grow them. They have Hebrew as a mother tongue, but they always, they already speak very good German and my daughter starts to understand English. And yeah, they think, I guess that, yeah, they have a really different experience than what I had. Because when I grew up in Israel, and that's one of the things that I regret the most, that I'm not regret because I, I didn't took this choice, but my mother, she was born in Morocco and her mother tongue is French. And it's a language that I really love. But it was not really recommended during these days to speak with children more than one language. So, and also she was already like more, she felt more comfortable with Hebrew. So then she chose not to speak French to us, the kids. And till today I have this like, oh, I could have learned this. I could have known this language and now I need to put the effort to do it. And, and that's a different ball game to <laughs> commit <laughs> to learn a language. Yeah. Um, so, but I want to bring us back to the idea of language because... You know, like one thing that I can see and start throwing into the idea of universalism is the idea of movement as a language. And and I know that in the dance world and also in other environments, people throw this term of like a 
movement language. So first, do you consider movement as a language? It, it makes me think of my cousin. One day she asked me how many languages I speak and I said seven and she was like, no, you speak eight because you dance. And she was <laughs> like five and I thought that it was, it was so sweet. Her, her way of observing, you know, and, and throwing that, like, of course you speak eight languages. Do that. <laughs> and, and she said, and, and that's your favorite language, right? And I was like, wow, yeah. But, um, so yes, like, I, for me, language, I think, uh, beyond being language is about communication. So I don't speak French to speak French. I speak French to be able to talk to my grandmother and talk to the people from my mother's country. I speak English to be able to, to teach. I speak Spanish to talk with my partner, like just speaking a language for the language itself. I think for me, it's not important. It's really about the communication. And in that sense, I think that movement um, is definitely a way of communicating. But as verbal languages, movement also has a lot of ways to, to misunderstand and and then again, if we start talking about different, I mean, if we go to movement more as a practice, like if you go and see a dance piece that's just based on, on movement, people can understand it in so many ways, which of course reflects how they have been educated, where they have been grown, growing up, where they like, what interests them, no? Um, so I think still, yeah, if if you talk about movement as a language, it has many different ways of being understood or even each each country, each verbal language has its different um, movement mm. vocabulary maybe also. The, maybe that's the cultural level, you know, like the different verbal language in, interpretates interpretate dif the movement with different words. Yeah. But I guess there's also like, you know, things that are very obvious, no? Like if I, if we're in the, in one room, and I just take a, you know, a silly extreme example and I, and I, and I move my hand very fast toward your face and I hit you in the face. Mm. That's very obvious, like way of communicating. And I think that there will not be a lot of like only in very unique situation, we would interpret it differently. No? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like there's, there's all the, yeah, more universal movements, let's say. And then there's the more abstract ones. Um, yeah, or more, so, um, yeah, more specific and, and singular movements. So what does it mean for you to, to communicate? Because I really like, I really connect or identify with this kind of utilitarian approach. Like, yeah, I do that because it serves me in something. I'm not just in like, it's my curiosity is to be part of life. That's how that will be my word. So, so like, what, what does it, what does it actually mean to communicate in language? Like, I don't know, because I, I have my own definition, but I'm sure that yours is different and it's also something that is very interesting to discuss, I think. Um, I think, like, to communicate in language, for me, it's a lot about listening and understanding and and getting closer to other human beings. <laughs> it sounds like very, <laughs> I don't know, hippie-ish. <laughs> but, but basically, I, I think that, that that's that, like, to both to express yourself and, and your needs or your thoughts or your dreams or whatever and, and at the same time connect with other people and and listen to them and and then start those dialogues and 
because I think that when like that's also connected to culture when we meet other people or me when I have been traveling a lot abroad then I also in that way I suddenly realize my Danish patterns while if I would have stayed in Denmark maybe I wouldn't have seen it in the same way because I just like everything would be the same but when you leave and you meet other cultures it's also a like stronger way to to suddenly realize things about where you come from and, and see those differences clearer mm. so so what was the practical like what was the practical application of movement communication for you like was jamming or like what what did you consider like if for you to actually where does it start or where does it end or maybe it's maybe there is no end um I mean, the practical thing, I would say that it's an, an expressing and an understanding. I don't know if that's so practical. Mm. <laughs> it's still very big. Um, or sensing. Which, sensing. Yeah. Like when I connect more to the movement language, it's because it opens up to, to communicating through different senses and not only through the sound and... Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, that's something I can also resonate with. Yeah, because it's um, yeah, like I feel that there's a different type of tuning that you need to do because it's so personal. Also, oh, it, it's 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 like I can speak to a stranger very quickly, you know, like get some information about something. But I wouldn't do the same thing with some, you know, practical, practical things about the body. I wouldn't just start asking somebody, yeah, help me to stretch here quickly, <laughs> <laughs> which is also a form of physical communication. But uh, so what, what do you think that, how, how did it, how did engaging in so many hours of practicing movement, how did it uh, move in communication? How did it contribute to your life? Or like, what why would you recommend somebody who, Let's say if somebody is listening to the podcast and they're just doing, I don't know, yoga, whatever, they're just do, engaging in solo practice, why would you recommend them to jump into the boat of communication? I mean, I think that, that our body really reflects our, our mind and the other way around. So I think it's also like the moving your body and listening to your body understanding your body is is a way of understanding yourself and and whatever you have to deal with in in this world or in your life um and it's not one way or the other like it's not like i start moving and i only move and i stop talking <laughs> or thinking but that it's it's um it's completely connected and like what I also enjoy a lot in, in movement practice, it's that you move, but then you also put words on, on the way that you move and how it understand how, what that makes you understand. And then you go back to moving on top of what you have just been saying. So it's, it's, um, yeah, I think movement really feeds, um, communication. Mm. Yeah, it's something from all the things that I miss in the corona pandemic, that's definitely the one thing that it's be becomes harder and harder that uh, there's just very rare 
amount of opportunities to just be in a room and play and exchange and communicate with movement. Yeah, I mean, we slowly start to have more possibilities here, but very slowly. Yeah. Can you still, I mean, you have your own studio, so you, have, you don't have this problem, no? Huh? I said you have you have your own studio, so you you don't have this problem. But maybe you have the problem of finding dance partners in the small yeah. village. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's funny because in the in the first part of the pandemic, I was locked inside in Madrid in my partner's parents' apartment, and there it was really like this kind of sensation of knocking yourself into the wall and not being able to stretch your arms to both sides without bumping into a dog or a sofa. (laughs) (laughs) And I was really imagining this big, white, empty space. And now when I go to the studio in the morning, I'm like, wow, (laughs) it happened and manifested in so few months. Now it's here. Um, So I definitely have this luxury that I, I think I've been dreaming of for many years as a practitioner to to have a space that I can go to almost any time, then it uh, it also brings lots of other extra work <laughs> to it that doesn't always give you the time to go to the studio. Or you go to the studio and you end up sitting in front of the computer and doing <laughs> <laughs> emails. <laughs> um, but so yeah, definitely like yeah, having that space it's a it's a big first step. And, and then I realized for me how important it is to have uh, friends and colleagues in this because I love going to the studio by myself, but eventually I think it's really important to have another body or another person to, to share your experience with. So here we have the, we do one weekend intensive a month where we're so lucky that people come from different places with different like with quite some experience and we just had one weekend last weekend um and that like fills me so much of being able both we invite a teacher to come and teach and and then just sharing the studio with 10 other bodies it's like it's uh it's amazing uh, your, your, and your your partner is also dancing no my partner is dancing uh also but more i would say part-time okay uh uh, or like it ha- it's always been part of his uh, his life but not as um, as fully present as it is for me like for me it's really what i dedicate my life to i would say or like part of my identity and and now since we moved here my partner realized that he's more interested in animals and, <laughs> <laughs> and spending time with sheep and and chicken and uh, that so we are also like we both we co-share the the work with the studio, but he's more also, yeah, responsible and spending time outdoors. And then he's teaching uh, weekly classes here more for the local audience, uh, which is also something he enjoys. But yeah, eventually we also hope to find time to, to practice together and, and to continue. Like right now, I think it's more about time that it's many things, uh, that we need to settle in this new lifestyle. Yeah, but I guess it's a, it's a very unique relationship, no, to have a to have a life partner, which also you share this kind of uh, let's say very intimate, unique passion of yours, which is to communicate with movement. No, like, do you enjoy dancing together? Yeah, I mean that's how we met, <laughs> and and yeah, it's definitely something that I like. I really under. Uh, enjoy or love that common understanding of 
of the body and and the playfulness and that there can be in that and, and that way of communicating with each other also yeah it's definitely something i i enjoy sharing also with my partner so i think it's important for me because i understand so much of of the world through my body that it would be hard to to date a computer nerd that <laughs> like this i don't know mm. um, yeah yeah, I'm also a computer nerd, but I don't see it like that. <laughs> yeah, uh, actually, you know, like you, you, you started to talk uh, more. We we talked already. We mentioned the studio. Uh, maybe you can talk more about it because uh, I'm very curious to hear about this project. So I know it's also now in a in a very crucial phase with a crowdfunding. So maybe you can share a little bit, like, what is this project? What is this studio space? Like, what are you doing there? Yeah. I mean, so from the beginning, <laughs> I think in my life, I think many dancers and movers can relate to that, that this need to have a space is something really important in, in our field. So I had a, I always had a dream that eventually I would find some people to open a studio with. Um, and also in the countryside through my experiences of both teaching, going to festivals, or having artistic residencies. There's something very specific about going to nature, being in one place, and moving, creating there that gives another focus. Um, and then, yeah, as um, a bit of a result of three and a half months of lockdown and thinking about life, we got the opportunity with my partner to come here to our studios where I have an aunt that lives. And we were actually just here for two months uh, to help them out. But then we really liked the place and we came to this building where I am and was shown that there was one big empty space that was like almost 100 square meters, high ceiling, no pillars in the middle and we just looked at each other and we were like this is perfect to make a studio it's just like <laughs> it's too good to be true um, and at the same time we were also told that there was a funding that we could apply for some european funding to start up a new project uh, so like within a few weeks we just got everything like wrote down the project of opening a studio for like both because here in the area there's no yoga classes or like there's nothing really for for movement uh you have to go to the biggest town nearby which is half an hour so it's also not so much but so we thought yeah to open a studio to give classes for the local people um to then host more like monthly weekend intensives summer workshops also like longer uh immersives immersions and then also artistic residencies which is for my more choreographic practice something that i understand is very needed um, and yeah then we applied for the funding and to get the funding we had to have everything done by October uh, so we started just like with some um, savings that I had to set a floor we got the whole space painted electricity na 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 and then the funding didn't uh, go through like we don't really know what happened but it uh, yeah because of covid anything it didn't come anyways 
So then we were in the middle of like, we have a studio half open. We got the license, uh, couldn't open because Spain got back to lockdown or Asturias did. And then now in January, we finally started um, with some weekly classes and some events like with smaller groups and, uh, uh, yeah, not all the, the events and workshops and stuff that we want to, but we're starting little by little. And uh, then we started a crowdfunding both because we didn't get the money from the funding that we were hoping. And because when you start such a project, you realize that there's much more expenses that you didn't count with in the beginning. Um, and also because we didn't, like we thought we could open in September and only started now with a limited amount of, of students. So now we still like, we need to put a ventilation. We need to set up the webpage. We still need to pay some of the things that we did. Um, and that's why we decided to do a crowdfunding. Both as a way to, to communicate the project and have people see it and try to reach like further than from our own little bubble of people. And then also just hoping that with the su many small supports from many people, we can get the financial um, help that we need to to finish uh, the details and well bigger and smaller details with the space to really get it up running and not start with um, a loan or something yeah and like from this triangle of like local community uh, like a center for events and like a, an art space what is like your biggest attraction or like what do you want to what is the identity that you would want to to push most for your for this place or you don't have any like what is your interest there I mean for me personally I think that the artistic residency is something that really inspires me uh, because it's a way of of uh, of mixing both what I know from the more international community and, and bring it to this valley that for me it's a beautiful place and there's really amazing people that live here and I'm super excited about the meeting between artists from all over the place and this uh, local space um, and from my partner I think what is more um yeah, inspiring is uh, they changed with the local people. So that's also a bit the way that we are dividing it now that he's more focused on, on the weekly classes and teaching children and, and grown ups and, and sharing movement principles, uh, with people that don't have experience, but that have curiosity. And, and then, yeah, that I'm more interested in, or also like I'm also interested in that, but, but definitely like this, decision of moving to the countryside and being all alone in sense of dance community there's definitely an interesting an interest in bringing dancers and movers here to share um yeah the practice and and how does you do your i mean i i, I it sounds really fresh so maybe it's too early to ask the question but what do you maybe you can already perceive like what is the effect of such a place in the countryside you know because if you open an, a studio in the city it's just another studio but there it's like what what do you feel like are people attracted to it are people cautious about it like what does it what what do you want it to represent there for people yeah i mean we have we had already two weekend intensives with teachers coming from madrid 
um, and also dancers coming from more cities. And, and their experience is just that it's like, that it's amazing to wake up in the morning. Everything is silent. You see the sun come up behind the mountain. You walk to the studio on a green path. It's like, <laughs> it's super idyllic. And, and, and yeah, I think it brings an, an openness and a freshness to, to it. It's like, it's, yeah, it's really open and, um, that on one side, like the, more for the movement, uh, weekends and also just for the artistic creation and, and research. Often when we are in the cities, we are so, there's so many impressions all the time. So you get more easily influenced. And I think that being here gives more space for your own reflection and creation that you can really, um, somehow disconnect and yeah disconnect from all the outside and connect more with with yourself or with with your group or yeah with your practice or research uh, yeah okay but i i also i was also curious like specifically like what is happening to the local community like do you like although it was also interesting to to hear that aspect of of the space but i mean like do you what does it does to a village to suddenly, you know, because I, I'm asking it, you know, that I've seen once a, a documentary about um, Osho. I think it was called Wild Wild Country about how they came into some nowhere in the US. They opened their center and, you know, like 10 years after there was people with rifles defending this place against the locals. And, and of course, this is a really crazy example, but, but how to, how, like, there is still a certain tension between this kind of like inviting something new to the countryside and this kind of invasive energy of like changing radically a space that is traditional so how do you negotiate this tension and what do you feel from the local community yeah i mean i think there's definitely something about creating a meeting point and and for example these i mean it's a quite progressive uh valley that we are in somehow there's definitely the really traditional part but there's also the last five years there has been uh, regular yoga classes here but from a teacher coming from the big town and, and trying so yoga for example is a practice that has already been known here and we see that in the classes that we propose one class is more uh yeah um yoga inspired and that's classes full already and then we propose another class for movement and, and improvisation. And you can see in people that there's a curiosity, but it also sounds like scary, no? Like, oh, I have to improvise. <laughs> um, but then we have a few people that are coming to that class and, and we hope that little by little, like that the mouth to mouth, uh, communication will, will also make people see that it's not so, so scary or so different. But I think that, that, that that's definitely the the key to come here and to show and to share that we have new ideas, different ways of doing. But at the same time, we are also very interested in how the farmers take care of their animal or how they know when to plant what vegetable or 
how they make the sidra. Like I think with my partner, we're really interested in both like to learn because we understand that there's so much knowledge in this uh, area, but that we at the same time also come with our knowledge and, and somehow creating a meeting point between both. It's, it's yeah, it the, sounds really fascinating because, you know, there is, there is a, a, a certain challenge with the, the proposition of coming from outside with your progressive, progressive idea of what is a good way of living, especially when you go and interact with communities that are more traditional, you know, like you can also, to some extent, you can connect it all the way into colonialism, no, and that nobody thinks nowadays that it's something positive to keep on doing. And but not that I'm suggesting that you're doing anything like that, just to be clear, but, but, but that's, but that's already, that's already like, I think like maybe a big challenge in the, in the, in initiating such a project is how to communicate it. And like, it brings us back to the communication topic. Like, how do you enable to create a bridge with people who have different way of different values and and invite them into your own creation and say hey look it's actually it can taste good here or like you know like it can feel nice and 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 it's not better than what you have it's just different and yeah i i guess that's something that i would find very challenging is it something that you that you feel that it's a theme or it's just i'm projecting my own imagination <laughs> No, I mean, I think it's it's definitely something that can become, I think, part of our luck here or part of what's making it easier here is that we live in the village and we, from the first day, like really participate in the village life. There's one key point, which is my partner has a five-year-old son. And that's quite amazing how that helps us also just like playing in the park with him and that way like meeting people and and sharing being parents for example it's like yeah finding those finding those things that we share first to then talk about what what we don't necessarily share but yeah that we have our differences and i mean also right now in my both in the classes that that uh, my partner is teaching or when I'm doing my choreographic work, I wouldn't immediately show what I would show in a small stage in Copenhagen here. Like that there's also a, a way of, of considering, okay, what are, what are people interested in here? What, how do people perceive the world? What are they ready for? Not in the sense that they're, they're not ready for anything, but yeah, like more, what's, what's the interest here and, and and also molding into this space rather than just coming and and like um slamming into oh, you know actually actually you know i i'm i'm very attracted by that because i mean when you go to the countryside to a place that let's say is less exposed to experimental ideas blah 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 and then you're also confronted with like let's say people who are more, yeah, how to put it in a way that is clear, like, yeah, it, it, can, it can affect your artistic ego in a positive way, I think, because sometimes 
at least I've seen it with my own work and with other people's work is that when you come with your artistic statement, it's like you're always in this mindset of like, I'm bringing the, the, the new important message to the world. Look at me kind of, I mean, at least the funding system where I live function like this. If you don't come with that idea, nobody will give you money. Like you have to really be passionate and, and communicate like how important your message is in order to get the funding. So maybe that's the problem and not the, the artist themselves. But, and when I hear you, it's, and you're saying like, yeah, first I want to see like, okay, what is the, what is, what are people actually interested in? And like, where am I rather than like, you know, because definitely if <laughs> now it just came into my mind, this imagination, if I would present the, the, the war and love, this naked wrestling duet <laughs> in your little village. It's like, you know, like I'm going to, like the project is done. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody would want to step into the studio anymore. And it actually, there is something because, and it's also a certain relief. I, I, I mean, I don't know, like that you don't need always to be so innovative and you can just go back into, you know, basic things and appreciate again, you know, maybe just the beauty of sharing your, your movements and not necessarily the radical concept about how to change society. I don't know. It's like, uh, have you started... Like, do you feel that because of that, it affects also your artistic practice that it becomes like, mm, it pulls your interest into other areas? Yeah, I mean, definitely. It's super interesting to both because I am doing a master's in choreography in Copenhagen, which kind of brings a lot of, I don't know, if pressure in a way of like, I'm the first master student <laughs> in Copenhagen to study this and I have to be like unique. On one point, and yeah, then on the other time, on the other side, being here and be the all, only artist in my field, like here locally, locally. And it definitely gives like a big, um, uh, calm down to my ego and being like, yeah, there's tons of people in Copenhagen and Berlin and all the big cities doing radical stuff. And, and I don't need like, yeah, to really both as a student in choreography and, as a local citizen here to to just dig in to to the life here and see what's what's necessary here not just for me as an artist but but for people and then there's also like there's a quite a big uh, permaculture community here spread around in the valley and, and my partner has been studying a lot um and in bill morrison i think he he's called the one who um established it or um, he says that when you come to a place you need to be there for one year and to observe the space in all its seasons before you start changing things um, and i think that that's very relevant also to to not just to to how you interfere with with the biological system but also how we are here as as people and new neo-rural citizens <laughs> of like yeah now in june we will have been here for an entire year and and then i think that we can more and more take um, decisions and move things but from a place of first observing and and understanding you know, it you, you what you these words that you said like made a click in my mind that maybe that's the link that you that you can link progressive progressivism into conservatism because like 
at least the way I experience the like life when it, when if we look at these kind of polars that there's a lot of tension nowadays like people are becoming more and more tribals in their in their identities and beliefs and what you've said now is like okay if, if you come to a place spend a year see what is happening and then start influencing it and that's an extremely conservative position it's like before you do any change just see what is already working and that, that's a conservative uh, standpoint but funny enough like most of the people who are more interested in permaculture sustainability uh, global warming ecology are people that are on the progressive camp and maybe maybe that's a way to to link the two that actually that, that there is actually some value in it because i i think that when i hear it it sounds like that being conservative or like taking this conservative approach is not because you're like stubborn but because you're humble no like first you humble yourself and you want to see what is happening around and then you take a careful approach of changing things at least that's how i interpret your words yeah i mean definitely i think that coming here and, and moving to the countryside is definitely a big lesson also in humility and also it brings me back to at some point you said that nature also sometimes can be very extreme no and and here we definitely feel like this that sometimes this week where you have a plan that we need to do this this and this and then we have one week of intense rain and then you need to to just accept that and be like okay so what can i do within these conditions and not just like be stubborn and go out in the rain and <laughs> and and keep doing things but yeah being being flexible around people and and around nature what it offers you and mm, yeah so maybe one more personal question because you already mentioned it before and it's actually a question that i wrote down in my list of questions <laughs> <laughs> and and you mentioned that yeah that you that you you started to kind of recognize the what are what is the beauty about looking at one place and digging into the details so what could you say like that you have benefited from settling down because There were so many years that for me you were like just like a you know like a traveling ghost that I, <laughs> I couldn't follow where you are because you were always changing locations and meeting and like so what what are you what do what do you harvest now after being a year in the same place and investing in some roots yeah um again I think it's not it's not either or because it's I'm very grateful for all the years that I have been traveling and growing in that sense but I think that First of all, I was just talking with a, with a neighbor about it yesterday that my sensation here is that I can settle down and that I have so many things that I can learn and discover in this single place. So that's definitely part of why it's here that I'm settling down. Um, and yeah, I think understanding that, that in one place you can also dig deep and, and learn many things and, And then the studio as a, as a possibility of, of inviting people to come here and in that way still be connected internationally. And, and for sure, I mean, I'm still gonna travel around, um, but not as intensely. And it's also linked to the situation that suddenly borders are closed or it's much more complicated to move around that it made me think about like, yeah, how am I living my life and how do I, 
how do I really want to live my life um, in a more sustainable way? And and then, yeah, I think settling down is also linked to the desire of having kids eventually and having like a more stable way of living and, and supporting that. So, yeah, it's different different needs and, and desires that have brought me <laughs> to this situation. Yeah, it's super interesting to... That's something I love about the, the, the podcast, you know, like, because I, I can invite people. And first I started to learn, like, what a, what a great thing is to have a platform that you can invite people. And then I can just hear a lot of stories that, you know, just when I hear you speak, it like, it also strengthened me in my life choices and, and, you know, like kind of also seeing it, seeing somebody who is a bit younger than me going through something that has links to, in some extent, to how I've been managing myself and to see that there is some kind of a pattern that is not, uh, that, that, is, that exists not because it's some kind of a heavy weight negative thing, but because it's like, that's, that's a way of, that's a certain way of learning that certain people need to go through. And, and yeah, it's very nice to, to hear where you are. And, and yeah, I, I, you know, like, I want to also give you some space, particularly to, to, to share with the audience, like, what is this crowdfunding? Why would people w want to support? How would they, how, how would they would be able to reach out? And what are the offerings that you have planned in the future that, you know that people can tap a little bit more into uh, the 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 space Salah Sa Saib. Do I pronounce it correct? No. <laughs> Salah Sabil. Sabil. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. It's not a. It's maybe not the easiest name, but we decided to take the local name and, and this um, complex of this building. And Salah is hall, no. Salah is yeah space, space. or uh, a hall. Yeah, a space. Okay. Una sala. And, Sa and, and Sabil is the name of and the... And Sabil is, is the name from this place right next to by there's um, a Sidra museum. Sidra is a very local um, apple cider drink that every yeah. farmers drink here. And and then there's a restaurant and, an, um, and a kind of hostel. And But the old name of this local place is Sabil. So everyone in the valley, if you say Sabil, they, they know where it they is. Know. And so we decided to really go for that local name. But then it's also Sasa, Sala, Sabil, Sasa. Uh, uh, a bit easier, Sasa. <laughs> That's the artistic uh, <laughs> variation. Cool. And um, cool. yeah, I mean, I talked a bit about it before, but yeah, we found this space that we've been renovating uh, and making it suitable for moving in and and then we found ourselves uh, in the need of economical help and decided to go uh, for a crowdfunding because we realized that we, we know a lot of people that this project will hopefully inspire an interest. And, and yeah, the crowdfunding, like the money goes to finish paying off um, the floor, ventilation, um, lighting of the space, making a nice web page so that we can communicate properly also through technology about the space um, and what people can get from it is that they can get to know the space in different ways um, like the, um, 
I don't know the name, the word in English, recompensas, the, um, what we offer yeah. in return. Mm. Is, um, Compensation. Yeah, it's Maybe. like, yeah, different ways of uh, getting discounts or invitations to come to the space, either through a weekend intensive or residencies. Um, or yeah, coming and, and visiting the space and, and spending some time in nature. And, and yeah, I mean, for me, I think even more in these times that we're living, I think it's really important that we have spaces where we can meet and exchange, uh, on a physical and, and mental level. Uh, and, and I think that it's, I observe more a tendency of people going more to, con- to, the, to the countryside. And I think for me personally, I realized that I want to have my base in the countryside and sometimes go to the cities. But I understand that for other people, it's the other way around, that they still feel like their base is in the cities, but that there will maybe be a need to go to the countryside. So this space is also thought for that, for people that maybe don't want to do the big step, but that want to have a, a space that sometimes they can come and get some fresh air and long views from yeah, so it's a, it sounds like a call for everybody who's interested in physical practice or maybe joining some workshops or yeah. doing their residency to come and support a little bit and and harvest the the benefits in the future by diving into this place yeah it seems Definitely. very and also very beautiful no, it's from just, what i've seen yeah thank you that I just, um, one of our plans here is also to do more like exchanges where people can come and spend mornings in the studio in exchange of helping us with the more rural farming work in the afternoons. So also a way of doing this meeting point between using the body and in the farming way and, and then afterwards or before going to the studio and, and focusing more on just on the, yeah, on the movement practice. And this is a very cool proposition. Mm-hmm. Wow, Mano. So, uh, yeah, uh, we've been talking for a while and I feel like I got a lot from conversing with you. And I will definitely link everything in the description of the podcast to the to the project and to the crowdfunding campaign and to your own stuff and profiles. And, and yeah, I, I, I want to thank you for coming and sharing so much with me. Thank and you for inviting me. I really hope to, yeah, to have the opportunity to to meet again in the near future and not in like <laughs> far distance. I can imagine convincing my wife to come to a beautiful Spanish mountain village. So I hope we can make it happen. I hope so too. That would be really, really amazing. Yeah, and thank you for inviting me. That was a great way to to exchange a bit after some time. Thank you, Mano. Until the next time. For more movement-related content and educational training programs, visit our website at www.movementlab.eu.